Hey there, my name is Jonathan Galvan, and I'm one of the pastors at Redeemer. Uh, we're so glad that you're tuning in to this sermon, and we pray that this sermon would be an encouragement to you. So please enjoy. Good morning. Y'all happy to be here? All right. Well, if you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, and I'll get there uh, here in a few moments. First of all, uh, if you would look around, you'll notice that the room in the first service, especially on the floor, is fairly full. And so uh, we've got kind of two options moving forward. Uh, we're trying to uh, prolong our need to move to a third service. So the way that you could help us is when you come in, whenever that might be, come as far to the front as you can. Be like the Lunsford who warm my heart, the echoes who stir my soul, front rowers, because like when we start the service at nine o'clock every week, I think oh, I've done it. I've killed the church. Uh, 12 people here. Uh, so we got people that come in late and it looks like everything's full. So if you can, when you show up, move as far forward as you can. Amen. That's not what I came up here to tell you. That's just a little bonus for you. Uh, last week, we uh, looked at uh, the, the fun story of the great Vince Lombardi uh, in 1961, coming off of a devastating loss to the NFL championship, decided uh, if they were going to be a great team, a dynasty team. He was going to have to start with the very simple things, the very basics. And so he shows up to their training and he holds out a football and he just simply says, gentlemen, this is a football. Doesn't get much more basic than that. Uh, we talk about often how if we're going to be a, a good and a healthy church that's going to reach people for the gospel and grow people in the gospel, we can never really get beyond the basics. We need to continually come back to the two basics of the gospel the person and the work of Jesus and the mission of the church that Jesus has given us. So that's kind of our moment of this is the football. Uh, this is a football. This is the mission of the church to be and to make disciples, okay? To be a people that are learning by grace to think like, act like, uh, respond like Jesus. And as we do, we teach others to do the same. So the mission of the church is to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. Very simple. Very basic, but we come back to that often. And so last week we unpacked just a little bit about discipleship. Uh, honestly, this morning uh, I want to unpack one very important tool uh, to use that the Christians should have in their arsenal uh, for making disciples that making dis that make disciples. And we talked about last week how really when Jesus gives the Great Commission and talks about discipleship, he's talking about two things. He's talking about the process by which. Um, Honestly, non-believers become Christians. That's through the gospel. That's believing on the work of Jesus. That's the first step of discipleship is accepting God's grace by faith. Uh, and that's discipleship from non-Christian to Christian. And then the gospel is the same tool that we use uh, for Christians to mature in the likeness of Christ. The Bible would call that uh, sanctification. So discipleship encompasses both of those. Non-Christians hearing the gospel, believing it, and Christians being matured along the process. And this tool that we're going to talk about this morning uh, is uh, very, very applicable and timely for both of those things. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to throw up a picture on the screen that's going to help you maybe understand me a little bit more. This is just a glimpse into my brain and how it works, or you could argue how it uh, perhaps doesn't work some days. Uh, but I was looking at this topic and this tool and began to realize, wow, th this thing is a, a major, major theme in the Bible. Uh, New Testament, Old Testament, 
Testament everything. And I began to, I just pulled out a piece of paper and I created somewhat of a Venn diagram. Do you know what a Venn diagram is? Uh, where you kind of look at different elements and you see where they overlap. And the more places they overlap, you realize, wow, this is a big deal. So uh, welcome to my brain. Um, this uh, is, uh, you, you look at that, you're like, yeah, we know you did that. I did not get the graphics team working on this. This is simply me. But I began to draw some ovals and and like, so Jesus, this was, a, this what we're going to talk about was a huge deal and a key component to Jesus and his ministry. Acts, you see this show up as a huge component in Acts. In Romans, it pops up, very pre prevalent idea. In the early church, uh, post-Acts, the first few centuries of Christianity, moving the gospel forward, uh, Peter talks about it. Every Christian should be involved in this. It's an urgent need in 2022. Hebrews talks about it. It's a picture of the gospel, and it's actually even a qualification in 1 Timothy 3 to become an elder, and hopefully now you're on the edge of your seat. You're wondering what it is. What could it be there right at the center that is so important that it encompasses all these different things? Anybody curious? Hospitality hospitality. And this is not the first time we've talked about this. I preached on this in 2018. I preached on hospitality in 2021, and you're getting it again today. And just so you know, you're going to get a heavy dose of hospitality uh, for the next 25 years, Lord willing. Uh, and I want to unpack those for a few moments because hospitality is such an important and a powerful tool to see people come to Christ and to see people move along in their journey. Uh, so 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, is really just kind of the, the, the text that we're going to use to preach this very small, simple phrase. Uh, and then I'll be in a lot of different places as we go throughout the morning. But if you're in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, say ready. God's word through the apostle Peter says this, writing to Christians, to churches. He says this, above all. Pretty, pretty big statement to this kind of uh, sentence and these few things that he's going to mention. He's going to say, like, these few things I'm about to say need to kind of rise up in your mind as very important, very prominent things. Above all, Peter tells Christians like us, keep loving one another earnestly. Okay, that, that's a major, that's not a minor thing, that's a major thing. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly because love covers a multitude of sins and he says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's just the very simple phrase that I want to preach this morning. Uh, Peter says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So the, the first task that I have this morning is honestly, uh, I want to do the best I can to convince you that hospitality is a mega theme in the Bible and needs to be a mega theme in our lives. And I want to uh, walk through a handful of things that hopefully uh, convince you of, of what a big deal hospitality is. Number one, you saw this on my beautiful Venn diagram that actually looks somewhat like a flower. You're welcome. Some of you are like, I'm so glad he does public speaking for a living, not artwork. Number one, uh, it was crucial to the ministry of Jesus. And, and sometimes you don't really see that until you look behind the scenes and you realize um, that hospitality, people opening up their homes and providing meals for relationships to happen was in the backdrop. And a lot of uh, what we have, even in the Gospels, couldn't have taken place without somebody being hospitable in the backdrop. Uh, Jesus' home base for much of his public ministry was in a place called Capernaum. And uh, Peter 
Peter's mother-in-law owned a house there, and she no doubt was a very hospitable woman. She opened up her home to have 12 grown men in and out all the time, people visiting, and her house would become the home base for much of Jesus's ministry in Galilee. That's in the backdrop. Uh, You find Jesus all throughout the gospels. He's constantly meeting with people, talking about the gospel, healing people, explaining the scriptures in the context of homes over meals. Praise the Lord. This is just a backdrop to a lot of things. Jesus is constantly, not just in homes eating, but in homes eating with sinners. In fact, that would be very frustrating to uh, some of the religious leaders. Uh, In Luke 15, 1 and 2, it says this, now the tax collectors and the sinners, they were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, that man receives sinners and he eats with them. Even in the backdrop of Jesus's interaction and conversation with sinners is hospitality. He was doing that in a home over a meal. I love what one commentator said. He says, in Luke's gospel, and some of you have heard this before, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. That's good theology. Amen? Somebody else, uh, another scholar said, but basically Jesus ate his way through the gospels. Uh, and sometimes we can think maybe that's, there's not a lot of theology in that, but there actually is. Uh, there actually is a lot of theology. We'll get to a little bit more of that in a moment. Zacchaeus was a... He was a wee little man, and uh, we know his story. We sing his song, and what you see is uh, Jesus decides that he's going to have a a life-changing conversation with Zacchaeus, and he's going to use what I will call, at least from the American perspective, reverse hospitality. Do y'all remember this? He invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. So he uses hospitality. Jesus himself was functionally homeless, didn't have a home to invite anybody to, So, uh, and, and this is culturally acceptable in his time. He's like, Zacchaeus, I am coming to your house today. Some of y'all need to employ that tactic this week. You know what? Uh, I like you. I want to connect with you. I'm coming over to your house for dinner. I like ribeyes or whatever, fill in the blank uh, for what that might be. Uh, Culturally, uh, in their culture, and honestly, in a handful of cultures present day around the world, uh, that's a very common practice, and that's a thing of honor. That would be somewhat intrusive for us, right, if somebody comes and just invites themselves over. uh, But in many cultures around the world, that's a a sign of honor uh, for someone to come and say, I want you to host me. I'm coming to your house. But even even in the—like, Jesus didn't— invite him to just a little conversation over in a response room necessarily. He says like, like we've got some relationship to build, some conversation to have, and it needs to happen in a house over meal. It's in the backdrop constantly of Jesus's ministry. I'm not going to get a whole lot into this, but uh, what you find in especially John, the gospel of John highlights these few hours, last few hours of Jesus's life happens where we call it the last Supper. We don't call it the last lecture. We don't call it the last lesson. Why is that? Because it took place in a home around a meal. Jesus coordinated it that way so that they might have one last meal together. And even from that, we get this gift Jesus has given the church that we call communion, which is what? It's supposed to be somewhat of a meal that we share. And Jesus says, I'm, y'all do it. Christians, 
take communion to remember Jesus. But Jesus says, I'm not going to take communion. I'm not going to eat the bread and drink the wine until I do it with you in the new kingdom. It's even still this like shadow of like this ultimate goal of Christians is to sit down in a home, have a meal with Jesus himself. It's crucial to Jesus's ministry. Uh, Number two, you see in Acts, it is a major theme uh, in Acts, which in Acts, the gospel spreads like it was designed to. Uh, it, it, it moves not just within the, the, the family and the realms of the Jewish uh, world and nation, but gets outside of the walls of the Jewish nation and Israel and, and begins going to all of the Roman Empire. And, and one of the major things that you see just as a student of Acts is that hospitality was a key component. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 46 and 47, one, it says this too, this is hanging on the wall in my dining room because my wife uh, praised the Lord for her. Um, she, she sees this and she knows this is a huge component to the Christian life. This is what it says. This is Luke as a historian, just really from the outside, trying to explain what was happening in Acts and how Christians were acting. This is what he says. He says, day by day, normal rhythm of life, they attended the temple together, so they were dedicated to gathering together, much like we're doing this morning, to pray, to sing, to worship, to preach. They attended the temple together, and they broke bread in their homes. You can very easily define that as hospitality. They were in each other's homes and a meal was involved. It was, it, hospitality in Acts was very normative. They received their food with glad and with generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is why we push involvement in community groups so hard because we think it is an important part of the Christian life to be in one another's homes and share meals and build relationships and talk about Jesus. Uh, it was a big deal in Jesus's ministry, big deal in Acts. Number three, Romans. Uh, We just preached through Romans last year, uh, so you got a little bit of this, but uh, Paul, uh, speaking and writing to Christians and churches in Rome, says this. He, He urges or commands Christians to be about hospitality. He phrases it this way, uh, Romans 12, 12 and 13, rejoice in hope, mega theme, right? Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. If you're walking through a difficult time of tribulation and suffering, Paul says, be patient. It will, it will pass. Be constant in prayer. And how big of a theme for the Christian life is prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. If a Christian has a need, be one of the people that help contribute, help finance to help serve that need. And then in this list of mega themes, he says, and seek to show hospitality. You see in Paul's ministry, this is a major push for him to encourage Christians uh, to have their homes open constantly where people come in, you share a meal, be people of hospitality. Uh, Jesus, Acts, Romans. Uh, how about Peter? Uh, Peter encourages it. Peter, one of the, I mean, really the, the spokesperson and, and uh, perhaps the preeminent leader of the 12 disciples in 1 Peter 4, 8 and 9, writing to Christians, he says this, above all, and we this was our launching pad for this sermon, this is what we're preaching today. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins and show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Do you know why he says without grumbling? 
Because sometimes with hospitality comes the temptation to grumble. And this verse gives me so much comfort because I'm like, oh my gosh, like in the first century when they were opening up their homes, somebody left and there was a temptation to grumble. Like they broke the dishes again. Like they left a messy sink again. Bob brought his donkey into the house again. Like there, there was, it's inconvenient. Like to truly be hospitable is inconvenient. And sometimes we can begin to grumble. He's like, do it, but also like, don't, don't grumble about it. It's like one of the most, in, not just incredible, but one of the most powerful things and cultures we can create is a culture of relationships and hospitality. So Peter encourages and commands it. How about the book of Hebrews? Uh, Hebrews, um, it, it doesn't even encourage or command it. It says, do not neglect. Let me read it. Hebrews 13, 2, let brotherly love continue. Again, mega theme. Do not neglect to show hospitality. He very specifically says to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And I, I wish I had time to drill into what that is saying and what an incredible thing. But do not neglect to show hospitality. I want to uh, read, I think Piper has probably... Um, help me see a little bit of the, the push in, in Hebrews not to neglect it. So I want to read what he says about this. Uh, Pastor John Piper says this, the physical force of gravity, it pulls everything to the center of the earth in order to break free from the earth-centered gravity. Thousands and thousands of pounds of energy have to push the space shuttle away from the center. There's also a psychological force of gravity that constantly pulls our thoughts and our affections and our physical actions inward towards the center of ourselves and our homes. Therefore, he says, the most natural thing in the world is to neglect hospitality. He says, it's the path of least resistance. All we have to do is yield to the natural gravity of our self-centered life, and the results, the, the results will be a life that is so full of self, there is no room for hospitality. We will forget about it. We will neglect it. And so the Bible bluntly says, stop that. Stop neglecting hospitality. Practice hospitality. It's right there in Hebrews. I, I mentioned this is actually a qualification for elders and for leaders and shepherds in the church. And you think about all the qualifications that the Holy Spirit could have laid out through Paul in 1 Timothy 3. And he doesn't put seminary. Uh, he doesn't put uh, a knowledge of the, the Hebrew and the Greek languages, although those are really incredible things. But, but what he does add is hospitality. Here's what it says. This is a trustworthy saying, and if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And I pray that many of you men in this room aspire to that office. Therefore, an overseer, and then he begins to, to list through uh, many, many things that are qualifications for leading the church. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, and then there it is, hospitable. And I think like that, that is truly one of the most powerful things that not, not just moves discipleship and the mission of God forward, but it really sh it reveals uh, a lot of our hearts. Do we really love the mission of Jesus enough uh, to express that in our homes? So I think very purposefully, this is a qualification for the type of uh, men that lead the church. They prove that through hospitality, opening up their home. 
What about the early church? And by early church, I mean uh, post-Acts. Um, so this would be after the Bible, not in the Bible. First few centuries of Christianity was hospitality important. Um, there were really no church buildings. The church did not own property. They were at the mercy of hospitality in many places. Someone willing to open their home to allow the church to meet there. Um, the apostles, uh, church planters, missionaries, when they would go somewhere, they would be at the mercy of someone opening up their home through hospitality. Uh, there were not a lot of hotels or Airbnbs or VRBO in the Roman Empire. And so what you find out is when people were moving around for commerce or for family or whatever it might be, uh, they, they were at the mercy of someone being hospitable. And for the first three centuries, it was just, it's marked in a lot of history that Christians were by far wildly the most hospitable, allowing strangers even into their home over meal, talking about Jesus, sharing the gospel. You'll read in a lot of places that hospitality was a huge driving force to the gospel spreading as fast as it did. It's like the gospel was spreading as fast as Christians could cook. And some of them can cook really fast. Uh, even in the third century, there was a global pandemic. You've heard of those, right? Uh, this one killed about 30% of the Roman Empire. And during that pandemic, Christians were at, their own, at the risk of their own lives, were opening up their homes, inviting sick and taking care of them. And the world saw that act of hospitality uh, so clearly that they coined the phrase hospital. That's where that has come from, radical hospitality of Christians. Uh, the early church in the first few centuries, hospitality was a huge thing. Um, it meets a very urgent need in 2023. Uh, you know this, we're a wildly lonely society. Um, a lot of people are really struggling with loneliness and isolation. What is a huge answer to that? Hospitality, a culture of people that constantly have others in their home, share meals, share life. Uh, we are a polarized society. And thanks to media especially, it's getting worse. Did you know that you can have conversations in a home over dinner table that would be a dumpster fire on social media? And everybody said... Like very, very difficult conversations because the world is so polarized. We can actually have those uh, if, if hospitality is involved. I think this is a huge key for the church to use to unlock people coming to faith in the culture that we live in. It's a, it's a very important moment for this. Uh, it, this is not like also some of the spiritual gifts. You need to know this if you're a believer um, because spiritual gifts are different. Like people get different ones. Hospitality is not like that necessarily. I think maybe some are more gifted than others and some are more, have, have a deeper proclivity, but this is an invitation that every single Christian can and should be involved in. And then number 10, it is a shadow, hospitality, it's a shadow and a display of the very gospel itself. And I'll come back to that here in a few moments. So I hope uh, that I've convinced you that hospitality is an incredibly important thing. So uh, I want to work through three, real quick, three enemies of hospitality. If you have been around for a few years, you know these, you've heard these. Uh, this will not be the last time. If the Bible consistently calls us to not neglect this, to remember this, to do this, then you're going to hear certain themes come up often for the next many years. But we've got to kind of rescue true gospel hospitality from a few of its enemies. And so let's name those real quick. We need to rescue hospitality from entertaining, okay? Everybody say entertaining. And you, you know this, we've used this language before. Gospel hospitality and Southern hospitality are different things. 
Okay. Oftentimes, Southern hospitality is about entertaining. It's about um, the host making sure we put on a good impression, that we pull out all the fine china and all the nice doilies and all the kids have to have clothes on and all those, you know, nice fun things. And, and it's really like, it, it's, it's, it creates a lot of barriers to the true purpose of hospitality. But it's a lot about the host and about our image. The people that come in think, oh my gosh, their house is so clean all the time. Their dishes are, are, are clean all the time. Their, their, their clothes are put away all the time. Their kids are clothed all the time, right? Like, if that's your mentality, that's going to deeply limit your willingness and ability to engage in it. True gospel hospitality is centered around other people and building relationships. D laundry does not have to be. We, we have had people in our house. You talk about a humbling experience that have helped us fold laundry. I had a woman in her 60s that folded my underwear. That is humbling. And yeah, it's like, it's just, it's real life. It's about relationships. It's about other people. It's not that everything has to be perfect. Uh, we have to rescue true hospitality from this idea of, of entertaining because that doesn't get at the core of why Jesus wants us to be hospitable people. Number two, rescue hospitality from materialism. Everybody say materialism. What I mean acutely by materialism is that we can, and all of us struggle with this, I'm sure at some point, we love stuff more than we love people. We love stuff more than we love people. Well, I don't want them to come over because the house is going to get dirty. Something's going to get broken. When those come into conflict, we have a choice of which one is more important. And if we lend ourselves towards loving our stuff too much, it's going to be hard to be hospitable. I want to read something from Rosaria Butterfield, which if you have not um, been acquainted with her, you should. Uh, she wrote a book about hospitality called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Fantastic book. Highly recommended it. Uh, she was a very liberal, uh, out lesbian professor in New York, very much anti-Christian, did not like Christians, and she actually wrote an article. I, I forget the details. I think it was in the New York Times, but don't quote me on that. It was basically talking about how, how mean and ugly Christians are towards people like her. And um, there, there was, I don't know what the total response was, but I know that one Christian pastor reached out to her and said, I'm so sorry that has been your experience. Why don't you come to my house for dinner? And she begins this relationship where she would go to their house once a week and she would say that hospitality was the key component to her conversion to Jesus. And so she, it's an incredible book that she wrote, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And in that book, she says this, the household that loves things too much and loves people too little, cannot honor God through the practice of ordinary and radical hospitality. We have to rescue hospitality from materialism. If things get broke, that's okay. People are more important. Number three, rescue hospitality from busyness. Everybody say busyness. How many of y'all feel busy? <laughs> That's kind of the the, 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 the the shared value right right now in the culture. It's just like, there's just a lot of things going on. And so if our schedule is constantly full and a lot of things going on and we're just busy, then, then something purposeful has to happen to obey the long list of commands for us to be a people of hospitality. Uh, I think, uh, you know, there's some things, even if you look at our culture, 
our, our culture has become isolated and busy. And even architecturally, you can see this. There, there's a book about the, the, the change of the front porches in America. Some of y'all maybe have read this. Like decades ago, most houses had big front porches where you would meet all your neighbors. And uh, over the last few decades, those front porches have not only gotten smaller, they've functionally disappeared. Now we've got really big, awesome back porches with really big, high privacy fences. You used to enter the house through the front. Now the garage doors around through the back so that we can kind of like sneak into the neighborhood, go around back, open the garage door from inside of our car, go into the garage, close the door, boom. Oh, I praise God. I never had to even see my neighbors. Like, so it's a cultural thing that we have to work against trying to, this is why one summer, in fact, a, a few summers, some of you remember this with fondness, maybe the staff with some PTSD. Uh, we did block parties. We're like, listen, we have bounce houses and popcorn machines, throw a party, meet your neighbors, because that's one of the most basic things we've been called to do. Got to rescue it from hospitality or <laughs> rescue hospitality from busyness. Uh, what would it look like to put it on your calendar? Where, where, where we set aside either one day a week, one day a month, I start somewhere, uh, where we try to obey the commands to seek to be hospitable and to not neglect hospitality. Personally, I think, and we had a handful of folks over for dinner in our house last night, hospitality, both for the health of your soul, the movement of the gospel, and even if you're a parent for the, the health and the growth of your kids, you will get more out of one hour of having people in your home over a meal than a few hundred hours of scrolling your feeds, right? It's just true. It's such a good thing. Okay, all that now brings me to the question, okay, what is then hospitality? Well, if this is something that's so deeply commanded, what is it? Uh, and if you just do a word study for that Greek word hospitality, basically you're going to find this, that it basically means practical kindness, oftentimes to strangers that normally is involved in a home with a meal, okay? Practical. It's, it's something that can be seen and felt and tasted. Practical kindness, especially to strangers, normally in a home, apartment, tiny home, whatever it might be, and involves a meal. Rosaria Butterfield describes it this way. She says, uh, it, hospitality, or rad she calls it radically ordinary hospitality, is using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family of God. Moving people from strangers into neighbors, people we know and love and trust, friendships, and then helping those people become part of the family of God, which was her story. Okay, uh, this is a definition that I, uh, I use kind of uh, functionally. It's opening your home, it's inviting people over, it's sharing a meal and doing so in a very purposeful way. Maybe it's a non-Christian helping them understand the gospel. Maybe it's uh, a Christian helping them learn something. Are you learning from them or encouraging or being encouraged? But it's using your home and a meal in a way to move the gospel forward. I think in the culture that we live in, true gospel hospitality is a defiant act against some of the most negative and harmful things of our culture. The busyness and the isolation and the things that are not good for our soul. True gospel hospitality shakes our fist in the face of those things. We're like, no, we're not going to have a culture of loneliness. We're not going to have a culture of isolation. We're not going to be so busy that we can't sit down and share a meal and enjoy life together. 
It's a, it's a defiance in some regard against the things that we all know are out there and just know that they're kind of uh, destroying some things and some people in our culture. So how can we use hospitality for Christ uh, to connect with people that don't know Jesus, help them meet Jesus, and to move all of us that know Jesus along in this process of discipleship? Number one, make it a rhythm, or as Hebrews says, do not neglect it. I would truly encourage you to think about maybe, you know, it's like a New Year's resolution, don't change everything in your life all at once, or you might change nothing. Maybe start small. Maybe think, you know, I'm going to open my home or my apartment one time this, this, this spring. Start small, but put it on your calendar and begin to make it a consistent rhythm in your life. Um, number two, pray and think about who in your world might need or benefit from hospitality. Who might in your world need some encouragement, need some friendship, or maybe you need that from them. And so you invite them over. We've got people that uh, come to our house all the time and, and, and they, they know who they are. Some of them are in this room and they, I, they, they walk out of my house and I am left feeling, man, I'm, I'm so deeply encouraged. Like they, they encouraged me so much. They gave me so much wisdom. Uh, it, it's such a powerful, powerful thing. So who in your world, maybe you're thinking, you know, I've got to do something to leverage all these soccer practices and games that I'm going to, might as well try to connect with another family and invite them into my home for a meal. Pray, think, brainstorm about how you can obey this command and who you might invite. Uh, be purposeful. During your time that you have someone in your home, be purposeful about the conversations you have, the questions that you ask, uh, the things that you reveal in honesty about your own life. Uh, be purposeful about the way that we use that so that it's not just having a meal, but it's moving the mission of God forward over a meal. So in closing, I want to bring this back uh, to what I shared with you a minute ago was kind of point number 10 for why hospitality is such a powerful thing and such an important thing and such a commanded thing. So the big question is, what does all this have to do with God, right? Like, is this just kind of something to do? Like, like what does this r reveal about God? What does it reveal about uh, people? Why is it commanded so much? What makes it so powerful? Is it a shadow? If the reason why we, we, we love to have, have a connection with people over meals, does that just practically reveal that hospitality on our level is a shadow of something much bigger, uh, much deeper, much more profound, much more eternal? And I would make the case, yes. If you have a Bible, get to uh, Revelation chapter 19. That's what we're going to finish up with. Maybe, maybe this is why it's so powerful and so commanded. Because Dustin Willis, and I, 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 I totally agree with his statement. He says this, don't miss this. The entire story of history is about God's hospitality to humanity. Have you ever thought about it that way? Like God having a home of his own and a table of his own and food of his own decides he's going to go find some strangers, some, some, some even 
enemies, and he's going to go turn them into friends, nay, into family, invite them in. And the big culmination of human history is for those who have been invited in to enjoy the hospitality of God, right? to, to actually be in the home, to belong, and to sit at a meal and enjoy a friendship and a relationship. And so I totally agree with him. The entire story of history is about God's hospitality to humanity. So anytime as Christians we're called to extend hospitality, that, that should be an extension of God's hospitality towards us that we get to then share with the world. God has invited strangers into relationship. He's made us not just a friend of God, but a son of God, a daughter of God. And so Revelation 19 it's really two things. It's kind of a culmination of the end of this life as we know it. When all is said and done, when Jesus is done with this, this life as we know it, it's, it's the end of that. And it, for, for those who truly belong to Jesus, have been saved by grace, have been adopted in, it's kind of the first experience that we have in the next life. And, and so what would God design that first moment, that first experience, the culmination of all of this? What would he design it to look like? And I'll tell you this, it's not a, a classroom setting. It's not necessarily a lesson. Praise God, it's not a Zoom call. This is what, what how, the, how, how the Apostle John is given this revelation of the future. And this is the picture that we're given. Revelation 19, 6 through 9 says this. John says, and then I heard, so like if you're in Christ, th this is a future event for you that marks the beginning of a new age. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying. He's like, what I heard was so powerful and loud, it was shaking things like thunder would. And, and, and th th this voice that was like thunder, they were all crying out saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory because the marriage of the Lamb is coming. If you're new to Christianity or the Bible, what he is talking about is this prevailing metaphor in all of the Bible that there, there's going to be a great marriage. Jesus is the bridegroom and the church or every Christian in all places and all times is the bride. And they will come together in a covenant relationship and to enjoy relationship forever. That's why the covenant of marriage is so important. That's what it represents. Ephesians chapter 5. But, but this, this like relationship where, where Jesus is the bridegroom, he was sent to prepare a place for us. He comes and he pays the dowry and he, he, he purchases us in and he, he brings together Christians and, the, and Jesus together into this relationship forever. That's what he's talking about. The marriage of the lamb has come. That's Jesus. And his bride, that's us, that's the church, has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen. You know this, on wedding day, a bride will wear a white dress to signify purity. And this is saying the very symbolic of us that uh, we get to wear white. Uh, and it's not, not because we're perfect and sinless, but it very specifically says it was granted to us. And I'll reach into some of the other New Testament for the rest of this metaphor where Jesus comes and lives a perfect, completely righteous, holy life. His righteousness then, like a white robe, takes off and he grants you to wear his righteousness so that you can show up to the wedding. 
It was granted to her, to us. It was the, 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 the freedom and the ability was given to us to be clothed in white. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. The fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Okay? And then here is what I believe is the end of an age, the beginning of an age, the first moment that we have. What has God designed that to be? Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that, like that term, that moment, that idea is, it, it is a mile deep when you start getting into like the first thing we experience when we in this life, walk into the next is a marriage supper. And I think at the heart of that is just kind of this idea of God's hospitality towards us. He's been planning this all along. So the first experience we have is in, 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 in a home, so to speak. I mean, in John 14, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come back and receive you unto myself. So that where I am there, like there's a home, there's a, a table with food that you can't imagine with the best wine. And Jesus is there. And all of these people that, uh, outside of Christ are absolute complete, complete strangers from every tribe, nation, tongue, language on the earth. And we show up and we sit down at the table and, and I can just imagine, I, I'm going to go for a long time because they didn't put a clock up here for me today. So brace with brace, brace yourself. <laughs> Thanksgiving at the Hatch uh, in the Hatch family uh, for I don't know most of my life from when I was born up until a few years ago. Uh, my grandparents hosted uh, the Hatch Thanksgiving at their ranch up in the Panhandle, uh, and I can see and I can remember um, that kind of my grandfather and my grandmother was, was the patriarch and the matriarch of the family. And I remember a few Thanksgivings, especially uh, my grandfather's last Thanksgiving, where the whole family was there. You know, 30, 40, even 50 people some years would be in their house sharing a meal, laughing, telling stories remembering and everyone in the room was talking except Papa. I remember, I remember just looking at him one day and he was just like giddy. He was just sitting there and I, I'm, I'm imagining what he was thinking. And I just remember thinking like, he's just sitting there thinking like, look what I've done. Like, like, look at what we have done. We have created this family that love each other. They belong to each other. They enjoy each other. We're eating. He just like, I'm, I'm sure just welled up with, wow, what an incredible thing. And so part of me thinks that marriage supper of the lamb, I don't know. Give me some, some creativity here. I, I don't know if Jesus will be talking or part of me thinks he might just be sitting there thinking, look what I've done. I reached out and I grabbed enemies and strangers from every corner of the earth. And I, I, I went on a mission, a hospitality mission to turn those strangers into neighbors, into friends, into family. And I invited them into my life, into my home, my kingdom. And we're going to sit down. There's going to be a table. And like, that's the first moment, the marriage supper of the lamb. You cannot underestimate how well true gospel hospitality is a picture of God's heart and his relationship towards us. That's why it's such a big deal. 
So a few things that I want to encourage you by way of invitation. Number one, invitation uh, for you to accept the hospitality of God, to come to Christ, to join his family, to be adopted. You do that by, the Bible gives us two things to do when we realize that, it, that God is good, we are not. Jesus is holy, we are not. Jesus is sinless, we are sinners. Two things, repentance and faith, okay? To repent, to turn away from our sin, to turn away from our struggles, to turn away from our guilt and our fear and our shame, and to trust 100% fully in the work of Jesus on our behalf. That's how you respond to the hospitality of God. So invitation one, come to Christ by faith, not by works, but by faith. You get a robe. We don't earn the robe. We're given the robe by faith. Number two, here's an interesting, I don't know that I've given this invitation before, especially to a few hundred people. Here's an invitation. Come to my house. Okay, come to, I'm dead serious. You come, not, not, not all of you all at once today for lunch, uh, but come to my house. I'll be in the lobby. I'll be at the tent. Uh, you may think, you know what? I'm struggling. I think I'm an atheist. I don't know anything about God. Come to my house and we'll talk about it. Uh, you think, man, I just, I, I've got some questions about this or some struggles about this, or I just have some, some wisdom or encouragement for you. I'm just lonely and I'm isolated. Come to my house. I will make you elk. Some of y'all didn't know that. You're like, God. That's why he pushes hospitality so much, because he can shoot more deer and elk. It's just a side blessing. Uh, I'm serious. Come to my house. Let me know. It may take a few weeks, may take a few months to get this all scheduled. Listen, we have planted Redeemer Church, not just the hatches, but a lot of the core team that was here in the beginning. We have planted Redeemer Church. A, a, a big part of that was through hospitality. Like we want to be a people that have a culture where there's a home somewhere for you to go to. You think, I don't have a home. Be like Jesus. Invite yourself over. Somebody else can play the role of Zacchaeus. Number three, invite someone over. Invite someone over today. Meet someone brand new. Say, you know what? The quickest way for you and I to not be, have this uh, non-existent relationship, uh, but to actually learn to become friends is probably sharing a meal at a table in a home. Invite someone over. Make that a constant thing in your life. Come to Christ. Come to my house. Invite someone over. So I don't want this to be just a, hey, we should be hospitable people, so invite people over. We, we, I want us all to understand the, 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 the deep foundation of the gospel itself, that why are we this way? Because this is how God is towards us. He is a hospitable God that seeks to turn strangers into neighbors, neighbors into his family, so that we can sit at a table over a meal and enjoy a friendship with God and presence with his family. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. God, I'm grateful for your hospitality towards us, that you came seeking people that didn't know who you were or what you were about to build a relationship, to ultimately die for us and to draw us in, not just to a classroom, but to a dinner table to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Father, help us first and foremost uh, to understand your hospitality and, and to embrace it by your grace through faith. And God, I pray that that would turn us into very, very hospitable people. Jesus, would you use hospitality in our homes for your glory uh, to see people come to Christ? God, I pray that Acts 2 would happen in Midland, that as we devote ourselves to gathering together and to breaking bread in each other's homes, that see, we would see people come to Christ day by day that you would add to your church. God, I pray for the lonely uh, and for the isolated in this room. 
God, that hospitality might be used uh, to remind them they are not in fact alone, that you're with them. And Jesus, that you are often with them even through other believers. God, for those who are discouraged and just need a family uh, to, 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 to love and to, uh, to talk with, I pray that, um, I just pray that we would take the commands of hospitality seriously and it would serve your mission and your people well. We love you. Jesus, we thank you. We're going to sing to you here in these next few songs. And I pray that you will receive the worship that's coming from our hearts. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.